Welcome to the Primate Talk podcast. Here we have nuanced interactions with interesting folks undertaking unconventional endeavors and see the world through eyes that are not just our own. Hey everyone. In this episode of Primate Talk, we interact with a talented young individual who is extremely passionate towards the cause of nation building, effective administration, and international affairs. Being a qualified chartered accountant himself, and in the process of entering the Indian civil services, Amir Zoshi has an incredibly unique take on the status quo of our nation and the journey towards national glory tomorrow. We ponder upon many interesting things, like the beauty of our national heritage and what we could achieve through our collective efforts. Amir also helps underprivileged children in the rural and urban parts of Maharashtra by mentoring them in their academic and educational pursuits. He also works with an NGO called as Vidyadan Sahayak Mandal, and we really support this noble cause. Moreover, I have known Amir since childhood, and I really hope this conversation gives you a new perspective on many things. So let's begin. Hello, Amir. We are live. Yes. So today we have a very esteemed, talented individual with us, Amir Zoshi. Uh, he is my childhood friend and a chartered accountant. And soon on his way uh, to become an IS officer, he is studying for civil services right now, and he's going to appear for some exams. So Amir, just to get started with, right? How does one uh, develop such a deep interest uh, in nation building, or say even in the administrative services, because generally people have a very uh, you know uh, they are very scared of this whole thing because it's 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 a really important uh, decision to make to you know prepare for such a difficult exam and so so how does one get started with this for you at least so uh, i think there are a few uh, you've covered a lot of things in this question so let us address them one by one uh i the, the first thing which you covered was the fear that many people have among them regarding the this career or say this line of uh, uh, of job maybe so uh in that case uh see uh there's a very big myth that uh the ias officers the ips officers and all the civil servants are at the mercy of the ministers so while in india uh, it is true that a democratic form of government and a parliamentary form of government allows for the elected officials to have uh, a, a say on matters better than that of the unelected uh, bureaucrats but at the same time it is also important to note that the implementation wing of the government or let's say the implementation organ which is entirely based of civil servants and the bureaucrats diplomats police officers all all that category so that category is extremely important in implementing all the policies programs and schemes of the government so while i think uh, it is important for all of us to understand that in a democracy like india in a functioning democracy like india all the various sections and organs of the government have their own jobs it's the job of the legislature the political leaders the elected leaders to make laws and it's the job of the uh, the executive the bureaucrats the judiciary the diplomats the uh, the police officers to implement the laws or let's say maintain some sort of streamlining of administration and smooth running of all the day to day operations of the country so it it must not be mistaken that the politicians have uh, some greater importance and the bureaucrats have a lesser importance i think each of them 
have their own jobs to do and each of them uh, do their job pretty well right yeah and so uh, yeah please wait so uh, this was regarding the myth and the fear that many people have as regards nation building i think as indians who have been who are uh, millennials and also who have been born at a time when india is going to have its maximum demographic dividend it is it is uh, the onus on all, is on all of us to ensure that we we contribute in whatever small way we can and in whichever way we can to making india a better place to live for all the people who are maybe less privileged than us who are maybe less uh, who have uh, less access to resources than us so i think as individuals as educated individuals it is all our it is the duty of all of us to ensure that we uh, create a better uh, let's say a more conducive environment for those people who don't have as much as us right and for you personally what was the driving factor because i see that a lot of people they are genuinely interested in this process right quite a few of them they do it for uh, just the you know the respect they get after entering into civil services for so for you personally how was this journey like right? why did you choose to you know embark upon this journey so uh, from a very young age i was quite interested in the running of government so when i say the running, when i talk about the running of government it is it has got to do with how the government i mean it how the, how the day to day administration of the government happens so what what uh, a layman might might see on tv or maybe in the news is how important laws are enacted how parliament meets how how people fight in parliament and uh, so on so that is what a normal person or like say a layman sees but uh, we also have to understand and appreciate that at the at behind the scenes behind all this news uh, that we see on uh, social media on tv in newspapers there is an entire machinery which runs day and night to ensure that people have access to resources access to services they are entitled to their rights which are granted to them by the constitution so i think it is very important for us to appreciate the role that these unknown warriors play in a in a day to on a day to day basis and uh, and also contribute in whatever way we can so as to uh, help streamline the uh, organs of the state better so yes that was a driving factor uh, in uh, in my uh, let's say civil services journey but at the same time uh, it is also important to note that uh, while the ias ips ifs and all remaining civil services are a very respectable profession one must not get into it only for the sake of power or respect so maybe 50 years back or let's say 30 years back even 30 years back there was a uh, there was let's say a craze of people going to the is just for getting that lal batti ka gaadi right so so we must we must understand that ultimately everybody everything is for the people is for the citizens so uh, let us i mean, I mean uh, for those who are trying to uh, get a i mean who are attempting and uh, are trying to get into civil services i will like to uh, maybe request them or urge them that don't get into it only for the sake of power think power might be a by product of certain postings which you have or certain uh, cadres which you are into but think of it only as a by power by product and as the uh, as maybe a factor in ensuring that you serve the people better 
so uh, let us i mean uh, for all of the aspiring civil services aspirants uh, let I, i mean i would just like to request that let us not make such a big fuss of power it is ultimately the will to make a difference that counts or the will to uh, make make something something more i mean the the will to consider that i appreciate that there is something more bigger than yourself there is something more bigger than uh, our small our, our uh, tiny little lives and all the tribulations and trials associated with uh, uh, the the thrill of being associated with something more greater than yourself and something for the greater good is what should propel every civil servant and civil service aspirant also right i really like the way you put it because you 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 spoke about unsung heroes right there are a lot of people who are working behind the you know uh, the the it, it it's a kind of a lackluster job if you will because people do not know your names directly apart from a few right a very few people who get interviewed on say televisions or they get invited to shows probably and then people get to know okay so this is so and so person right i think there is this ips officer which is very who is very famous and probably you can let me know uh, some people who who should be more popular because of their work right because very few people get that attention which they are really which is which is really required for instance and also about the point that you know there there should be a genuine interest behind uh, behind this concept of you know nation building or even say you know to understand a particular even about their own cadre right what does that exactly do because keeping your vision as wide as possible and then not focusing on very small aspect because there is a certain big picture behind everything which goes on so yeah that really makes sense to me and so any any people uh, who you think in who are in this right who are in the administration uh, and whom you think that people should know more about right few individuals probably some people so, who you look up to or so so yes uh as regards uh, the uh, different civil services i'll mention a few of them uh, uh let's say in each civil service so for is i think uh the work of a district director i mean if you are following somebody in social media it's well and good but uh i think every every citizen or every layman should be acquainted with the work of the district director of the district where he resides or which is the place of work so uh every district collector see uh, in the in, in india where we follow pm cm and dm structure the dm or say the district magistrate or the what we call as the district collector so that that particular person is at the helm of affairs of a district so while his work is not often appreciated as regards the mps and the mlas uh, he often plays a very important role in implementing what directives come to him and also what suggestions come to him from the elected officials so uh, with Uh, i mean uh, whichever district you live in you should make it a point to at least know something about maybe your district collector what work he does and uh, what all aspects he is involved in so uh, as as students we cannot imagine the level of level and the kind of pressure which is which the official space so when when let's say when you are when you are charge of the entire affairs of particular district you have to be on your toes day and night it's, it's basically a thankless job so it's you can get a call at 2 in the night you have to rush to you have to i mean there is a there's a range of responsibilities right from handling law and order situations to receiving a vvip 
to uh, to uh, i mean uh, to become the troubleshooting manager of the government in that particular district so there is a wide range of responsibilities with is and that is why uh, as you know it is called the premier civil service of india so uh, so i think yes as regard the ias it is it is very important for all of us to understand and appreciate the role of the district collector and also to learn whatever we can from it as regards diplomats which form the indian foreign service i think you can follow uh, certain diplomats on social media quite who are on social media quite actively so let's say uh, mr rahul shrivastav who is our uh, our india's ambassador to romania uh is quite active on fora twitter and he has also written a few books on uh, on uh, on various different issues so he he often on fora he often directly answers questions regarding to diplomacy regarding to indian civil services regarding uh, regarding uh, uh, what the life of a diplomat is what the life of a civil servant is so uh, he is very accessible it's not that he is uh, i mean uh, no active social civil servant on social media will make you feel that they are seated on some high throne and they are not accessible they are very very accessible you can uh, i mean many people drop them messages directly and they make it a point to respond whenever they can uh, so i think this one person is somebody who have been following who i have been following for a long time uh he also he uh, i mean uh, i think uh, he and i uh, share common likings because he wanted to get into civil services only for the sake of diplomacy he was not interested in any other service so and uh, in the second attempt he did manage to get into that so uh, he in in, uh, in a way you can call that he is my role model or let's say uh, somebody who i look up to because uh, the track which he he followed in his life say 20 or 30 years back is the same which i have been following now and our likings are similar so i i do uh, i do uh, read his blogs or read his answers on fora read his uh, updates on twitter so just as to get a sense of what is it uh, i mean what is it to become a diplomat or let's say what is it to work to become a representative of indians in some other country so i think he provides a very clear and very lucid view on that yes i love that guy so on kora i remember that uh, yeah rahul shivastav right hmm. yes wonderful guy because he used to give so many anecdotes about his visits to different countries uh, how the culture there differs like for example russia i think so and he has been to russia right yes yeah really yeah. interesting fellow and uh, i wonder how these people manage their schedules right because i would imagine that any person at such a high post probably has a bunch of things to do but yet they find out time to you know reach out to uh, common folks normal public and then try to answer their queries however silly they might sound because uh, not all of the questions which he answered on kora are purely related to the administrative services it is more like they want to know more about him as a person right so yeah that's that's really interesting uh, what about mr jay shankar Mr. Jay Shankar is like the, uh, let's say, a father figure or a role model for all of the uh, diplomats who uh, who are aspiring for greater things in life. So, uh, just to give a brief uh, a brief idea about uh, Dr. Jay Shankar, uh, he cleared the uh, civil services exam at the age of 22, which is a very big thing, uh, and uh, he man- he got into the Indian Foreign Service. and has served in multiple postings right from uh, learning russian in russia 
to uh, being an ambassador in the Czech Republic, a high commissioner to Singapore, uh, ambassador in Washington, ambassador in Beijing, and also later foreign secretary for two years. After which he was uh, appointed as the external affairs minister by Prime Minister Narendra Modi. So, uh, so he has got he is the kind of person who uh, I mean who has got a wide ranging expertise in almost all aspects of diplomacy. So, uh, because of his uh, primarily because of his rich experience and also because of his interactions with many different people, different uh, different people engaged in different sectors all over the world. And uh, I think that the experience, those interactions, those networks, those connections have made him uh, a very uh, a kind of a knowledge guru for diplomacy or let's say for Indian diplomats or for the Indian uh, administrative system and the Indian uh, foreign affairs division in general. So yes, uh, and uh, uh, his uh, becoming, his being selected as the minister was uh, indeed a very big surprise for almost all Indians, I think, because nobody knew about it. But uh, considering the vast expertise that he brings with him to the table, he is he is more than I I will uh, I mean uh, I will definitely say that he is the best candidate that can ever be there for the job. He right. knows the ins and outs of Indian diplomacy. He knows the strategic trajectory which our country wants to take in the years to come, and he is the best. Uh, I mean, he is the he is best suited to navigate the. Uh, trials and tribulations of which come with being a diplomat and which, which come with being a uh, person representing your country to the outside world, the face of India. Definitely, and help me understand this. So, for example, Mr. Jay Shankar or any other diplomat, for instance, they have been doing their work with different governments, correct? I mean, it's not that a government would directly influence them because, anyways, they have their normal set of responsibilities, but or uh, to what extent does the rapport between a diplomat or a person in the uh, administrative services civil services uh, it coincides or it strongly correlates with the government in place so say you know we had congress for a lot of time then we had bjp uh, how does that influence the performance or the output of uh, these folks right the administrative the civil services folks yeah The short answer to your question is that it helps to have a rapport with the elected officials in power, but the uh, the catch behind it is that uh, while it helps to have a rapport, this does not mean that you uh, build a relationship with them for the sake of favors. So the, the the bureaucracy is officially neutral and it must be so, but at the same time. Uh, we must understand that both the elected officials and the bureaucrats are equally responsible for implementing the schemes of the government, the policies and programs which come to them. So uh, it is important to build a rapport, but it, it, uh, I mean, there's a very thin line between building a rapport and uh, uh, and actively soliciting, actively uh, trying to, I mean, uh, trying to solicit favors or let's say trying to not be as independent as you should be as a bureaucrat. So uh, I think Indian bureaucrats are trained to ensure that whichever government comes in power, they have to be politically neutral. And at the same time, they have to be, uh, they have to be, um, let's say, uh, they have to have a good working relationship with the people in power. So uh, that is why, uh, even though it has been more than 70 years since independence, 
the wheels of government have continued irrespective of whichever party comes in power or whichever government comes in power the wheels of government have continued and i think in a democracy it is very important that a certain set of people who are who are uh, not elected on the basis of votes are put in place so that there is no uh, interregnum between when a government um, i mean when a government loses election and when the other government comes into power so that is very important and i think that must be nurtured the political neutrality and political independence of judiciary must uh, of the bureaucracy must be nurtured correct now you know going back perhaps to your own journey right because i'm just thinking that okay so you have been very strong academically as far as i remember right uh, so high school then college then you went for uh, the the whole the whole ca thing right then you you are done with ca then you pick up this new uh, right uh, the civil services journey so the way i see it ca in itself it's it's really tough right and on top of that you are going to take this as well so what level of mental fortitude or resilience is required for this because generally uh, people find e- each one of these very difficult right so like generally we see that people go for some other courses perhaps arts or so not to say that you know it is somehow less difficult than ca but yeah definitely the if you if you see the success rate for that it is really tough right lot of lot less people graduate with ca as compared or become ca as compared to probably arts graduates right so in that case uh, was it difficult for you to take this decision or you were really hell bent on going about this way or no so uh, see i i see the glass half full uh, mm-hmm. i i think that ca prepared me for my civil services journey mm-hmm. so uh, see a lot of courses in india are basically what we call a sprint not mm-hmm. a marathon so uh, ca is in itself a marathon because it's a course which takes at least 5 years so uh, considering that see uh, the the journey to becoming a ca was actually helpful because it helped me endure for a long time uh, i took a couple of attempts to clear ca also uh, ca final so uh, i think uh, it taught me uh, the value of failure and how you get up from failure how you rise back from failure how you take failure as a stepping stone to success so uh, with with those things in mind i think i was definitely more prepared for uh, giving my civil services exam which is itself a, a very big investment of time as well as a very big investment of efforts so uh, at at no point of time i think and, and i feel this is primarily because of my uh, year spent in ca uh, during doing the ca course so at no point of time during this journey this uh, civil services journey of the past two years did i feel the need to just uh, i mean just quit or uh i uh, did i feel that i was wasting too much time and I, did i feel that it was too difficult while it is difficult there is no doubt about it i i did have some uh, i did feel at some point of time that uh, perhaps it might take time but then the journey will be worth the uh, what comes at the end so i think uh, my ca course uh, i did prepare me adequately for this because uh, to all the people who are watching this and to all who will be who are perhaps thinking of attempting civil service exam uh, i think we should all remember that this is a big, very big uh, investment of time and a very big investment of your 
let's say uh, your productive life so uh, a, a lot of people uh, your peers will be uh, having fancy jobs will be earning a lot more than you and you might feel at times that you're just sitting at home doing nothing but uh, as i said it's a it's a marathon not a sprint so you need to all of us need to have that endurance in ourselves to just make it right till the end so with that in mind every civil service aspirant must keep that in mind that the the journey is very difficult but then the end will be equally rewarding because at the same time you will have some purpose you will have you will feel like you have accomplished something which was the purpose of your life so yes with that in mind i think ca did prepare me uh, very well for this marathon of a upsc journey yeah i can only imagine because yeah and i think right now there is uh there are still i mean th- this is one field in which people are always interested in right it is unlike any other field so for example when people talk about it like the conventional it boom which happened it lasted a few years then you know uh, people were not too much into it then there was this big data boom right then r- right now there is this data science boom which is going on so the the flocks of people they try to you know uh, they they tend, they tend to get attracted towards a particular field for a time but this has been that evergreen uh, i think so for a long time now yeah great and then right now right so you also you also are a trained classical singer correct and uh, did you did you still uh, do you still continue to do that when you are you know when you feel like it or right now it's not probably that you know important part of your life or how do you go about that your hobbies are probably singing so, uh, yes i was i was uh, into music into hindustani classical music for about 10 years right from the age of 8 till the age of 18 so uh, i have given a couple of exams also for hindustani music but at uh, but maybe let's say after 12 uh, i i started giving it a little less importance uh, because of many other factors uh, because of my ca uh, exams uh, ca studies then then after ca now uh, it has been uh, i've been studying for upsc for the past two years so yes uh, after the age of 18 i uh, failed to give it as much importance i perhaps should have given Uh, which maybe i'll regret in the future i, I mean uh, maybe i'll uh, i'll feel a tinge bit sad about it in the future but uh, i think yes at 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 the point of time in my life when i when i mean uh, when everybody was having some or the other hobby then yes music could have been called as my uh, particularly classical music could have been called as my uh, favorite hobby or let's say favorite uh, way to spend time yes So yes, uh, I, I I at one point of time I was very active in music, but I'm not so so much active nowadays. Right, uh, that always fascinates me. Uh, like the tradition of music in our country because it has been there for a very long, long time. Right, probably I would like to say even more so than Western music. Right, because uh, the array of instruments in Western music, and then correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, is it not? a bit limited as compared to what we have in say indian classical music or hindustani or carnatic for that matter because we have yes. the piano and then the, the organ on the western side probably violin but here there is a whole range of instruments say from the sarangi which has been probably you know called as uh, 
it, it's probably called as the human voice box right because it has the variety of nodes and stuff so you can do a lot of stuff with it so what do you think about that so yes uh indian music or let's say hindustani classical music carnatic music uh indigenous music let's say uh is something which has been there right from the time of vedas so the samaveda has a lot of references to how the uh, particular hymns of the rigveda are to be sung in a particular manner in a particular tone so uh, indian music has evolved right from the samaveda so then uh, uh, right from ancient india to medieval india when we had the mughals the rajputs who patronized music and to we had a lot of external influences in music from persian from uh, from urdu so uh, uh, right from those uh, medieval times to modern times music has evolved a lot i mean uh, the range of raag alap trupad khayal in indian music is mind boggling uh, i mean if if uh, one were to go deeper into it then i think we would take the entire day <laughs> entire day today so yes uh, music is something which i think all of us as indian should be proud of because music dance arts handicrafts are all these things which make us proud of being indians which make us uh, realize that yes our culture is something which has shown the way to the world at one point of time uh, we were we were i mean we were we were the factory of the world we used to manufacture for every everybody our our uh, textiles our uh, spices were renowned right from right in all, all the corners of the world right definitely and i actually did not realize this for quite some time right the sheer extent or the sheer uh, uh, range of uh, you know heritage we have but slowly when i started uh, you know trying to learn more about it purposefully right see what are even the vedas or how did this practice of uh, you know so when when people generally talk about indian culture it's like you know you have the gita as one book which probably should be followed so they try to equate it with other religious practices for instance because like so obviously islam has the quran or probably you know christians have the bible so definitely hinduism should have a certain book but seems to me that that is not the case right uh, it is a collection of probably practices from all across this subcontinent which has somehow culminated in this beautiful culture called as sanatan dharma or uh, you know hinduism as people call it but yeah and the way it manifests into different forms it's it's really amazing because as you mentioned in rigvedas uh, they have mentioned how uh, how certain you know technical aspects of uh, classical music are to be understood or probably you know uh, more information about the uh, the structure of the whole thing and obviously even dance has that right so for example like say kathak or bharatnatyam for instance even they are some very deeply not somehow very deeply correlated with the music right percussion for example so if when you when you talk about tabla it 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 has a very intricate connection with that art form as well somehow everything culminates into this very holistic uh, kind of thing which is which is really awesome to experience i mean me personally i have not been that much into indian classical music nor do i understand it completely but when i hear it it feels awesome so yeah so i i think even for an untrained ear uh, it should be really attractive to you know even experience that yeah so so you know going back to right now i think everyone has this i did not want to even you know reach this but say uh, 
the way covid is being handled right and like i have heard lot of opinions from you know general acquaintances or folks we talk i talk to you know peers but uh, from a perspective of a person who is going to be a part of the administration a part of the bureaucracy an integral part of the uh, the whole mechanism what is it uh, do you think that we are doing good right now like india handled it well state governments handled it well as in contrast contrast to probably what could have been done so what's your take on that so uh, regarding the current crisis i uh, i mean completely uh, i completely empathize with all the people who are undergoing a lot of problems regarding availability of beds availability of oxygen cylinders availability of ventilators so it, the situation is indeed very grim but it is important to not just blame the government for it i mean blaming the government is a very easy thing which everybody every one of us does in our sofa discussions in our drawing room discussions i think that's a very common thing which happens in every, almost every house in india but uh, i think perhaps we need to go a little deeper and understand the root cause behind all this the root cause is that we have not been giving adequate resources or adequate budgetary allocations to our health sector see this is the root cause of everything the shortage of beds shortage of oxygen shortage of ventilators shortage of tests for covid-19 everything stems from this so uh, when we talk about developed countries such as the us the uk european countries all of them spend a sub- and even for that matter china so all of them spend a tad bit more than what india does on its healthcare system i appreciate that india's population is quite i mean uh, many times higher than what the population of the countries which are referred to earlier are is but uh, i mean if we were to allocate a certain more percentage of our budgetary allocations or our budgetary resources our extra budgetary resources to healthcare sector it will go a long way in uh, not creating such a kind of a catastrophe again so to give you an example uh, the government has already taken a lot of initiatives in this regard uh, it is our target to substantially improve our healthcare allocations and uh, create primary health and wellness centers under aishman bharat uh, to create a comprehensive and holistic uh, view of healthcare in the country so yes with that in mind government has already taken a lot of decisions but as citizens i feel all of us in whatever small way we can small or big way we can it is important that especially for us as millennials to appreciate the need for quality and affordable healthcare in the country and to work in that direction so uh, as millennials i think all of us are very uh, into social service or voluntary or let's say uh, being a part of a, of a charitable organization or uh, being a part of something greater than yourself working for the underprivileged so in that with that in mind why education is the is a much focused on factor and a much uh, needed uh, inter- educational intervention is a much needed intervention considering the uh, demographic dividend of this country healthcare is also equally important so when uh, i mean uh, to all those who are watching this program i think we as youngsters in, in at some point of time in our lives or right perhaps right from now on we should ensure that we 
contribute in whatever small way we can to creating a holistic and affordable healthcare system. Because we have to appreciate that uh, if the situation in the cities itself is so dire, the situation in the villages must be something which we cannot, cannot even imagine. So it is in, while the government is doing its job and it will take some time for health infrastructure to come up, it won't happen overnight. It is important for us also to lend our part to whatever we can and ensure that India, nowhere again are people dying at nowhere, no, I mean, no, at no time again in the future are people dying at the gates of hospitals, are people gasping for breath again, and that and that there's a comprehensive uh, solution to all these healthcare problems which we have in our country. I know it will take time, I know it is difficult, but I think as the as the as we say again and again. Uh, if we, if we as Indians, we come together, then we can accomplish anything. Yeah, I, I like the optimistic approach there because every country has something to improve upon. And then, you know, we as people, we have the, everyone says that we have this boon of having too many people or rather let's not call it too many people, but essential man, you know, uh, man force, which can be utilized in various sectors. So, yeah. Makes sense to me. And say you personally, right? Uh, any, any particular areas you want to focus on, say, you know, not even with respect to COVID, but in general, when you look at the, uh, and j- definitely you must be aware of the news all the time, right? Preparing for uh, what you're preparing for. So any particular areas, which you want to personally focus on. Well, as I said before, healthcare is one mm-hmm. aspect where I would like to personally intervene whenever I can and with whatever, in whatever capacity that I can. But at the same time, uh, we talked about culture earlier, cultural heritage earlier. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, every state in India is an, uh, is a melting pot of many cultures, many, uh, many indigenous practices, many uh, different kinds of monuments, many different kinds of uh, paintings, arts, dances, and so on. So uh, with that in mind, I think it is very important to make India a, a very accessible and a very friendly growth, uh, tourist destination for many Westerners. I think uh, a lot of Westerners are very fascinated about India, considering our rich culture, our religious practices. I think if you if you uh, if you would have, uh, I mean, many of you may have known that uh, a lot of Hindu uh, or let's say not not even Hindu, uh, let's say indigenous or Indian uh, religious practices are followed by many Westerners in America and Europe. So, uh, so uh, yoga, I mean, I think uh, yoga is the biggest expert uh, export that we have, I mean, which contributes to our soft power. So apart from just looking at it as a means to enhance our soft power, I think we should, uh, we should, I mean, uh, as, as, uh, as a civil servant, or let's say as a, uh, an empowered citizen of this country, I would like to uh, personally intervene in this area and ensure that uh, no Westerner has to think twice before uh, going to India just because maybe it's not, it, maybe they feel it's not safe or maybe uh, uh, India is, uh, there's a very popular misconception still among many Westerners that India is just a land of snake charmers and beggars. So, uh, so I think, I think we need to comprehensively, comprehensively remove that uh, perception and present India as a brand to the outside world. Yeah. So that is some, that is another area where I would like to uh, put my efforts to. Couldn't have put it better because 
I, I, I really strongly feel about this. And just because now you mentioned it, it again uh, came back to me because still that perception of India is a land of snake charmers, right? Uh, it's just a land of forests and then tigers roaming around or whatever cows on the street. Yes, that is true. We, we cannot deny that. Uh, we still have cows on the street. We still have, uh, you know, there is this crime rate which is still present. But I think the the progress done, uh, it is astounding in areas and probably people might not be aware about, right? Uh, that, and then yeah, help us understand probably. Uh, so we we only know what has been shown to us through media and stuff, right? But say you personally, do you think that there is a certain aspect of the progress we've made so far, which has to be showcased even more, like, are there any areas which we are doing better as compared to the rest of the world? Because like, I would like to think so that, you know, US is a superpower, say Russia is a superpower. They are much better than us in all aspects, but that is not the truth. Right. So, yeah. It is certainly not the uh, Well, there are many areas where we have done much better than the developed countries. Climate action, I would like to illustrate one of them specifically, and that is climate action. So uh, I, I just recently read a couple of days back that as per the Climate Change Performance Index, which is compiled by uh, an NGO based in Western countries itself. So uh, as per that Climate Change Performance Index, India is on the top, is one of the top 10 countries which are, uh, I mean, which are uh, contributing to renewable energy, contributing to reducing the emissions, uh, with regards to the Paris Climate Agreement in force. So, uh, uh, I mean, um, perhaps it is not represented or it is not published as much in the newspapers or in social media as it should be. But India is and the current government is contributing a lot to renewable energy. So, so we have come up with state-of-the-art solar, mega solar power projects hybrid solar power projects in many states across the country. I can take the name of Gujarat, I can take the name of Reva in Madhya Pradesh, I can take the name of Tamil Nadu for wind energy, I can take the name of Kerala. In Kerala, I have been to Kerala in December 2019. So in Kerala, right outside Cochin International Airport, there is a huge solar power project which, so, uh, uh, so that, that entire solar power project is so big that it can sustain the requirements of an international airport all by itself. So I think these are the small stories, these are the unknown stories which we need to publish and which we need to make people know a lot because uh, uh, it is the tendency of newspapers and social media or let's say even the news channels to focus only on the breaking news or let's say something which create, which gives them more PRP or which creates a sensational effect among the public. But at the same time, uh, uh, creating a better India through a better environment through sustainable development is something that as youngsters, we know the importance of and the importance of which is only going to increase in the future. So that needs to be, that needs to be highlighted, that needs to be shown and that needs to be, uh, I mean, uh, those uh, climate resilient and climate friendly actions, climate friendly behavior needs to be encouraged all the sections of the public so as to make India a leader in climate change, in climate action. So yes, that is one area where, where India has done substantially better than many Western countries. So uh, as Indians, we should, we should not just, I mean, as educated Indians, I think it is all, is, the onus is on us. It's all our responsibility to ensure that we are aware of whatever the government is doing 
whatever private sectors are doing, whatever civil society, whatever academia is doing to ensure that as uh, to ensure that uh, India is a much better place to live uh, as compared to let's say the past decades, and uh, and and to create awareness among our community, our the people we know about various government schemes, about uh, various uh, policies and programs of the government, which are not highlighted in social media. So to give you an example, there's also this app called Umang. There's a website called mygov.gov.in, which a lot of people don't know about. Maybe in cities they know, but especially in rural areas, there's, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, distrust, or maybe there's a lot of uh, non-awareness about these issues. So uh, as Indians, as educated Indians, it is our responsibility to ensure that we make these. Uh, schemes or let's say we make this, this knowledge available to as many people as we can because the amount of uh, resources which the government has made available in the public domain are stupendous. I mean, we simply cannot believe that the government has made all of this available in the public domain for consumption of the citizens. So, see, the government has done its job by making things available in the domain. Now, it is our responsibility to ensure that we 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 know that it exists. And point number two is that we we appreciate what use can be made out of it. Yeah, and we see that all the time. I mean, people do generally the way I see it, people do nothing but criticize the current government in power, right? And I don't blame them. The decisions have not been so easy to you know digest for a lot of people, but uh, and then you know even even I can't claim to know the exact stats of how bad or how good I have we have been doing. perhaps so see that if you were to contrast uh, the actions of the cover- current government or the you know uh, the whole bjp led front as compared to the earlier congress led front from a very objective point of view right uh, would 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 you say that we are doing better in this decade as compared to the previous congress led decade or uh how would you objectively compare it because it it seems to me it's really di- difficult right now and then people have this very uh uh you know uh, they try to bucket it into either of you know good or bad directly which need not happen it should be a very nuanced view point which one should try to harbor towards it so what do you have to you know probably add to this what do you say so i think from the common man's perspective uh the current government is seen as doing something at least so mm. so the current government is seen as being on its job uh, being on its toes uh, actively uh, uh, creating awareness actively talking to the people right from the prime minister to chief ministers to local officials so the, the in that point of view i completely agree with the layman's perspective that the current government is much more on its toes is much more aware of happenings in society and is much more at a better uh, position to respond to these happenings as compared to maybe something things which prevailed 10 years ago where i think the common uh, complaint of people at that time was that uh, the government is not doing anything it is not seen as doing anything so while while the government is not doing anything might be an amateurish view of things because things are always happening behind the scenes where you can't see them probably but uh, perhaps it was not uh, perhaps it was not doing things so as to bring it to the notice of people or to make people realize that the government is actually uh, working for their benefit so yes in that matter things have improved with the current government 
the current government has also taken a lot of initiatives which are not so publicized for financial inclusion for digital india so let's say the jan trinity janardan aadhar and mobile trinity so this is something which might for for uh, digital indians like us it might seem very uh, very uh, silly or perhaps very small uh, of a event to even make a note of but uh, considering indian economy and considering the potential that india has and the potential of the indian economy to diversify itself that the jm trinity the digital the digital payments uh, uh, awareness and promotion the export promotion incentives uh, the incentives given to various sections of the agricultural population right from tribals to agricultural processing to uh, bringing in state of the art infrastructure in agriculture making provisions for that these are some of the lesser known things which are but which are equally important in a country which uh, in which a majority of people rely on agriculture uh, a, a vast number of people are tribals who do not have access to resources as much as, much as the urban crowd uh and also a lot of people who who uh, live in the hinterland and who perhaps uh, who perhaps feel that there is no better life other than moving to a city so uh, while this objective has not been completely accomplished i think we are going in the right direction and perhaps in the next 5 to 10 years we should see some concrete improvements on this on this aspect yes lot of areas which uh, which we folks might not even be aware of right that the government has to play a role in this very nuanced very specific area as well so correct definitely agree with that and uh, one thing which you might have noticed is that uh, during this whole uh, regime of say you know 8 years or so the whole modi regime the the bjp government got a lot of flack for bringing in controversial decisions right these were like uh, so the way i see it earlier early on during the congress uh, regime we used to have decisions but which i could not comprehend completely right there were like probably economic reforms or so which the layman or the you know hoi polloi of our country they might not understand but right now uh, the decisions they seem to be very direct right uh, they they uh, this they strike a chord with some people and then for some people it is completely misogynist not misogynistic even but say you know uh, communalist for example right creating a divisive a uh, uh, divisive kind of force in our society uh, and that it just started with demonetization for instance right and then one decision after another decision after another decision and then seems like uh, it could have been a smart strategy for the bjp government to probably not take such a uh, you know quote unquote radical decisions but uh, how do you see that like uh, i think one very positive uh, decision which they took was with respect to the kashmir uh, issue right that was welcomed by every by everyone basically like no one would oppose to it but i i i would say that that is probably one or two of the 10 decisions or you know initiatives taken up by this government so do they receive do they receive unfair criticism or uh legitimately there is a threat to the unity in this nation there is a there is a kind of divisive force which was generated perhaps by this current government what do you think so uh yes to answer this question first i would like to say that i personally don't believe that any minority in this country is undergoing any form of persecution so so we are st- we were a free country even before 2014 we still are a very free country 
where every indian is uh, eligible to express his views in a very uh, open manner of course subject to certain restrictions which are which threaten the law and order of the society so so uh, with that in mind i i don't think anybody any party any individual should make such a un cry of there being uh, there being an othering of some people or let's say there being a, a sidelining of some communities there being a persecution persecution is i think a very wrong word and a very uh, uh, a very uh, politically concocted word to uh, to just highlight the false fears of somebody i mean i i i i know a lot of uh minority communities who are who are living quite happily and who are quite happy with the state current state of affairs so uh keeping all these political things uh, out of the uh, out of the bracket i think uh some decisions of every government do go wrong uh demonetization i think was some about a hastily uh, uh conducted operation uh which did not need, which I, i i must stress the intention was quite genuine and was quite important in this country where we have a lot of black money uh, which i mean uh, you must have looked at the figures it's like 15 zero, 15 zeros after a certain digit so so i mean with that in mind demonetization was necessary but somewhere things didn't go quite as planned and we didn't achieve what result we hoped to achieve so yes uh, some decisions of the bjp government of the current nda leadership have gone wrong but i think that is something which we need as indians as educated indians i think we need to appreciate that ultimately it it's a government is a basically a human enterprise so there there are bound to be human errors human fallacies there are bound some things some things sometimes are bound to go wrong so so i think we should appreciate that and not unduly criticize somebody for it because hmm. right from independence right from the past 73 years which have uh, gone by since independence lot of governments have taken lot of decisions which have proved controversial to a lot of different sections of society so so uh, i mean it it is just uh, we need to see the greater good out of it if the i think i personally feel that if the decision was taken with a view to adequately improve the conditions of a certain section of the population or perhaps the entire population then even if the decision didn't go as i mean if even if the implementation or perhaps the outcome of the project was not as well as expected i think we should appreciate that the government at least tried to do something which which nobody else had done in the past so uh, to talk about demonetization again demonetization happened only three only i mean i think three times till now and the only time it happened earlier was when the prime ministers were uh, mrs indira gandhi and pv narasimha rao so these were two very uh, st- let's say strong politicians and uh, leaders and statesmen of the congress party and uh, after that after uh, pv narasimha rao the, the prime minister who took this decision was the current prime minister the incumbent so so uh, it is important to know that uh, when there are strong leaders when there are leaders who want to make a difference in society who want to actively make india a leading nation there are bound to be radical decisions there are bound to be decisions which not all of us will agree with not all of us will uh, feel that this is the right thing the right way to do it or the right thing right way to proceed about it there will be kind of decisions where we don't like what is what the things which are happening around maybe with you can take the example of the current covid crisis as well 
so while constructive criticism of the government is and should always be encouraged criticism for the sake of criticism or criticism for the sake of creating a scandal or creating a controversy is something which as educated indians we must desist from and which we must actively uh, avoid others uh, to pursue as well yeah yeah correct and the the major thing is that people have suddenly started drawing parallels between the current regime and the, the trump regime right and when we think about it uh, it's not that difficult to believe right i think the us government probably had a major role to play during this whole uh, covid scenario also they did not handle it as well would you say and you know trump calling it china virus or so i don't know if how much truth there is that the origin of the virus was from this you know was it from a wuhan laboratory or was it uh, completely did it happen from the wet markets right a uh, lot of controversy surrounding that and uh, you know the 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 sudden rise of trump even for the even 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 considering the fact that this guy has legitimately gotten elected through the electoral co- college right so what do you have to say about that like the, the way americans elect their leaders is it somehow detrimental to the entire world because looks like that the president of the us has a very strong capacity to affect everyone ultimately we have to appreciate that trump was an elected leader so while a lot of people around the world did not like him or did not like his policies so ultimately the majority of americans did vote for him and uh, he ended up becoming president so he took a lot of controversial decisions when he became president he he can be perhaps accused of not handling the covid crisis in america and if he is is radical views on certain topics all of these are are controversial yes but at the same time uh, we need to we need to understand that uh, america america actively knew that trump is such a leader and that he might take some decisions which are not acceptable to a uh, population outside america so when trump came to power he was very clear that he was being elected only for america and only for americans he was not being elected for anybody else so he he basically right from his campaign he was very clear that america need not be need not be the moral and the uh, and the, the moral and need not have the moral authority to lead the world everywhere Hmm. so so uh, he was quite clear about this this perspective was quite clear he was working only for america and only for americans and with if if we have that background in mind uh it might not surprise us as much as it did when uh, he took some radical decisions uh, con- not considering the fate of the world in mind but at the same time uh it is also it is also uh, required for an american president uh, for an american president to understand that a lot of and america is the as of now it is the leader of the world so so there are many competitors coming up to rival america but currently as of 2020 or 2021 america is the is the unabashed leader of the world so the american president or the american elected officials have to behave in a manner which suits them as 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 per this conclusion so uh, yes trump did not behave in that manner but uh, he also he also cannot just blame trump because ultimately the american people wanted him to behave in a manner conducive only for america and not for the entire world hmm. 
so so that is a sign of the thing, times to come america is becoming more and more insulated more and more protected from happenings everywhere else they are withdrawing from afghanistan they are withdrawing from iraq where they are they are limiting their military engagement to everywhere except for their own soil so so uh, that is a sign of, i think all of us must take it as a sign of things to come that the world needs a a a, a leader who is morally capable as well as who has the legitimacy to show the proper direction to lesser developed countries to developing countries to undeveloped states to properly uh, guide them in their path of development i think that is where the concept of multipolarity comes into mind so so uh, we must not look at the world now in the in the years to come we must not look at the world as just a unipolar world with america showing the way to everybody there are bound to there are bound to be multiple polar centers in the world china and india might be two of them in asia let's say uh, russia might be the one in uh, in eurasia uh, germany might be the one in central europe uh, iran might be the one in uh, west asia saudi arabia might be the one in, again in west asia a few african countries which have shown remarkable levels of development like south africa um, even small countries where where uh, where uh, indian indian help or indian aid has played a role they can also emerge as uh, multipolar centers in south america we have brazil we have argentina we also have uh, the most populous island in the world indonesia we have vietnam who are who are who, these are these countries are basically rising giants so we have to appreciate that there will be a multipolar world in the times to come and that as one of the leaders of this multipolar world india needs to cooperate with all to ensure that while there is no hegemony of any one particular nation we find a way to we find a common ground to contribute our individual capabilities and specialities and that 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 common ground can be had to bring succor and bring relief to all those people around the world in war torn zones in hunger zones in uh, disease ridden uh, uh, states or disease ridden places uh, i think all of us can contribute our collective expertise for example india can contribute its manpower india can contribute its logistics america can contribute its financial power uh, australia australia europe can contribute their financial resources japan can contribute its technical expertise so with with that in mind if we if we as humans if we as nation states if we as leaders of a multipolar world take it upon ourselves to contribute our respective capabilities then a lot of problems of this current world can be reduced can be brought to a decently low level and can be uh, and, and that can provide relief for a lot of people who don't have the basic dignity of life yeah and and just to think about this uh it took this pandemic for people to cooperate to this extent right for nations to cooperate because uh when it is that the entirety of humanity is under a threat right under attack that is a time when we think okay i think this is a good time to cooperate right nation nation leaders they might feel in a similar way so uh and uh, probably to add that you no know, how do you think that science probably is a great way to bring in a uh, powers together right or superpowers together because historically speaking right from uh, you know medieval ages 15th century 16th century then you know post world war 2 you had all these great minds going to america you know fleeing from germany fleeing from nazi europe 
and then suddenly us becomes this huge power with so many nobel laureates right so right now when we look at the density of nobel laureates or probably even the level of research going on us still remains at the forefront i think europe comes up you know not so close second and other areas and then you can definitely correct me if i'm wrong here but uh, seems like you know science is a very good way to bring in uh, all these countries together probably sir or uh, your large hadron collider that was a very great example when uh, different people from different backgrounds probably right some someone might be a molecular physicist or someone might be a nuclear physicist so on and so forth they came together so what do you feel about you know people like say elon musk or other jeff bezos even jeff bezos have blue, has blue origin right now he is also trying to get in that space fight with elon so uh, do you support the uh, you know rise of these people and people call them capitalistic jeff bezos gets a lot of flack for being the richest person in the world but uh, is it is capital not necessary to take such you know daring and ambitious endeavors say you know deep space flight commercial space flight journey to mars right how how important is it to encourage such individuals and not put them down as some agencies early on did so you know nasa was not really appreciative of uh, individual efforts to develop commercial space flight so what do you think about that so uh, in the 21st century where we live now when we live now uh, it is it is i think it is a must for it is imperative for all of us to go beyond the political definitions of a capitalist and a communist so uh, we need visionaries today so it, it's as simple as that we need visionary people today we need people who can who have the ability to invoke to inspire people to do something more to do do something better to tap their untapped potential we need people like that you can call them capitalists you can call them socialists you can call them communists you can call them whatever you want the fact is we need people who have the guts within them who have the potential within them to create something better for humanity as a, as a whole so uh, elon musk you talk, talk about jeff bezos you talk about bill gates through his bill and melinda gates foundation all these people uh, even a lot of indians you talk about azim premji you talk about uh, narayan murthy mr sudha murthy you talk about these visionary people at, at one point of time they have created something a lot of them might have retired now but at one point of time they were responsible for creating something which the world did not knew that it existed so microsoft was a revolution and it still is something which all of us use on a day to day basis so we have to appreciate the visionary power of these people we have to appreciate the power of these people to create entire ecosystems of similarly thinking minds similarly uh, similarly uh, uh, tapping a lot of potential uh, untapped potential among people so i personally believe that as humans we have a lot of potential within ourselves to do great things the definition of great might vary from person to person but uh, in the in a colloquial way i think we have a lot of potential to do great things for ourselves for our community for our society and for the entire world so so we need such people to tap that that untapped reserve of potential within people so uh, the bill and melinda gates foundation to give you an example uh, helps a lot of developing countries including india in in uh, creating ecosystems of maybe on the basis of health improvement maybe on the basis of educational improvement maybe on the basis of other factors which 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 provide a concrete basis to people's lives to improve so so 
the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation wouldn't have been possible if Bill Gates hadn't created Microsoft, right? If he hadn't created Microsoft, he was a nobody in the world. He created Microsoft. He made this entire human enterprise of brilliant minds working, innovating, achieving something uh, day in and day out. So, so it it is the effort of if if Bill Gates had sit sat at home and just done a uh, done a uh, college degree and just gone to a, a nine to five job and done something like that, we wouldn't have Microsoft today. We wouldn't have the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which provides billions of dollars to developing countries for improving their standard of living, for improving their health, education outcomes. So we have to understand that while uh, a very narrow-minded view might say that the capitalists are in it only for creating profit for themselves, we also need to appreciate that these are not just profit-making capitalists. These are people who want to make a difference to the world, and that difference can be possible only by having a vision and having a vision and actively taking people along to accomplish that. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And uh, you know, sometimes, uh, for example, Bernie Sanders, and uh, I, I think you might be aware that he is very critical of capitalists or people amassing such huge wealth, right? He has that stance for now how many years now since since he stepped into this political, uh, you know, world, uh, and I think he's a senator of Vermont, perhaps. So. he is you know openly critical and on all social media he never changed his stance that you know these people have too much power these people have too much wealth so uh, is he correct in criticizing these people or that is that is probably one aspect of bernie which i don't completely agree with he having so much you know uh, he has a lot of people following him definitely he did not he did not appear as a candidate for the presidency but uh, or he appeared but he did not you know succeed in getting that uh, getting that uh, thing you know or even proving to be a very uh, strong candidate to counter trump the, the democratic national party did not support him so do you think that is a valid criticism at times which he makes that you know uh, and not just for america but say globally when you talk about the wealth disparity or is it just a function of some people working harder than the other person Right, we should not complain. Rather, that you know, why does this person has this much wealth? And you made it clear earlier. But uh, is there a valid uh, criticism at times, or uh, you think that uh, the way it's going on right now, it it all makes sense? I agree that we live in a very unequal world. See, we have people buying private islands in the Caribbean Sea, and there are people who are dying of cholera in Yemen. So, so we 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 do we do live in a very unequal world. There is a lot of inequality. Yes. but we need to appreciate that if there were if see uh, the very basis of of uh, initiative or let's say human will is that you get something in return so while uh, i i i completely support private initiative see uh, we the, the opposite would be a socialistic country where everybody is equal so mm-hmm. that that is something which stifles initiative that is something which stifles ambition that is something which stifles private uh, efforts to improve your own state improve the state of your community improve the state of your nation so so if we want to remain where we are for the next 50 years then yes socialism is the answer but do we want to do that no we can't we can no country in the world today can afford to be completely socialistic so i i uh, what i advocate is humane capitalism 
so while uh, initiative private initiative private uh, efforts and private ambition individual ambition is a must to get a to get a better world out of the current uh, scenario at the same time we must we must all stand for human capitalism which advocates that which which recognizes that some people have better resources than others some people are better equipped to make it through life than others some people are, are not as equipped as others to make it through life and it is the responsibility of those who are more equipped to ensure that they create a conducive environment to those who are not as equipped so yes inequality does exist uh, if you go by the gini coefficient india is a uh, there's a lot of inequality in india as uh, as there is a lot of inequality in china and all the developing countries as well so yes inequality does exist but the answer is not uh, nationalizing everything or the answer is not creating uh, uh, equal uh, uh, status for everybody that is not the answer see we must go for equity rather than equality so so if you can if you can all appreciate the difference equity is something which wherein all the citizens of india or let's say all the all the citizens of the world are properly equipped to make it to make it through life in a decent manner they have access to education they have access to reasonably decent healthcare they have access to uh, the uh, the facilities that come with the internet they have access to uh, the the resources access to sanitation to water to nutritious food i think these are basic things which as humans and uh, as whatever political affiliation we belong to as humans it is our duty to ensure that we create a equitable atmosphere for sustainable development of all sections of the society including those who are especially including those who are not in a position to fend for themselves as adequately as the others are it seems to me that uh, you've put in a very beautiful concept here that socialism looks good on paper but like yet there has to be a successful socialist state and the basically the the people who are who support socialistic policies they are they have a very good heart right their hearts are in the right places in the sense that they want everyone to have a you know an e- equal level of life or probably equal standard of living but probably we should be socialistic in the uh, you know provision of equality in opportunities right you should be socialistic in providing opportunities but the socialist aspect of equal outcomes might not be suitable because people are in general very different from each other they have different tendencies to work harder not work harder and definitely given uh, given equal resources to people to 10 people 10 people are going to end up in 10 different places so uh, probably complaining at the end of 10 years after the resources were given is not a great idea right so yeah definitely makes sense to me that uh, you know uh, and as uh, so uh, navel ravikant very famously said that he was a socialist or he was a communist when considering his family right uh, that he wants equality for everyone right when we reach down reach up a level right we have to be a more careful probably more individualistic and probably more capitalistic when we talk about nations right and then then we have to employ different levels of uh, uh you know uh, probably behavior at at different stages so when the the larger the group becomes the more uh, it has to protect from other entities and then the smaller the group is the more it has to cohesively adapt and cooperate so it yeah, definitely makes sense to me and again i mean uh, 
going back to you know you you've talked about a lot of things here and seems to me that the the way we evaluate our uh, you know of say you know the people who are going to be a part of the administration going coming back to uh, what what you would do eventually right do you think that the evaluation we have right now right it's a very extensive procedure everyone knows about it right the steps you we have the examinations the preliminary examinations the mains examinations and do you think the evaluation criteria for young folks who are going to you know uh, get inducted eventually it is valid and the traits of a successful officer right are they are they being tested here or do you think there is something different there is something more which could be done yeah, right uh, which can probably even enhance uh, our ways of evaluation what do you think about that Current pattern of the civil services examination conducted by the Union Public Service Commission. So this pattern is something which tests the candidate comprehensively. So you have almost everything on the sun being asked to that particular candidate through the three stages. Uh, in some or the other form, either written or oral, or through the objective MCQ pattern. So you have all the comprehensive uh, aspects of governance, of society, of Indian culture, of uh, history, of geography, of science and technology, of uh, economics. You have all the comprehensive humanity aspects, humanities aspects, which might be, uh, uh, which are, uh, I mean, uh, which are uh, included by testing this candidate. So you basically, when the uh, when you when the candidate comes out of this stage of preparation, he is. prepared to be a generalist so uh, he he knows something about every single aspect going every single matter going on in india but, but uh, we at, at at some point of time in our development trajectory i think india needs to appreciate that we need specialists as well mm-hmm. so uh, in in certain spheres we need, do need specialists steps have been taken in this direction by the current government to bring in lateral entry into the ias so uh, after maybe about 15 years in the corporate job Uh, there are there are quite a number of people who have come in as civil servants and who are actively serving the country even now since the past two or three years when the scheme was introduced. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I do feel that what needs to be improved or perhaps what can be added is that we uh, we need to have separate examinations for separate cadres or separate services. So uh, to talk about foreign service, uh, USA recruits almost to twenty thousand uh, foreign service. Uh, Aspirants, or let's say uh, people, or let's say candidates for their foreign service roles, all across the world. China does many times more than what India does. So uh, India, on an average, recruits about thirty-five to forty uh, candidates from the UPSC examination for foreign services every year. So as compared to the leaders of the world, as compared to regional leaders, as compared to global leaders, we are nowhere when it comes to recruiting adequate number of people. creating adequate capacity building creating adequate uh, uh, manpower uh, training for for these people so uh, with that in mind i do think that we need to have specialized examinations specialized people to interview specialized uh, specialized uh, training models for all these for all the different services so for example the rigors which a ips officer or an ias officer undergoes in his job are very different compared to what the uh, ifs officer or perhaps a indian postal service officer might have to undergo so with that in mind uh, i i don't i don't deny that the government gives an adequate opportunity to training for these uh, cadre specific or service specific uh, candidates every year after their recruitment but i also feel that 
rather than in, in certain areas not in all in certain areas there is a need for the government to uh, have a specialist uh, approach to certain professions or say certain services uh, in in almost all professions like uh, uh, let's let's say uh, i'm a ca so uh, for, for chartered accountancy company secretaries for doctors for lawyers we have specialized recruitment and regulatory institutions for all of these bodies who are autonomous in nature and who bring out the best standards for training recruitment and for induction into these specific careers so i think we need to see each of these services let's say the iif the ips or the ils as a ifs as a specific as a separate profession so if we look at it from professional point of view i think it will bring in the required expertise the required capability uh, for uh, for training manpower and the required uh, uh, let's say the required uh, rigor which is expected of these professionals to conduct themselves in a manner befitting india's position as a rising world power there have been attempts by the government by by the current government to do a lot regarding civil services capability building like mission karma yogi but but uh, again i uh, while they are they are more of a, a, a comprehensive effort at civil services reforms uh, what i feel should be done or is the need of the hour is to create specialized professions for each of these services where uh, candidates or let's say students are particularly trained to get a career and get an expertise in foreign services in administrative services in postal services in account services in defense services and what not wonderful point made there uh right many people don't think about this as often but i think having specialists in the uh, you know uh, in the decision making process definitely consultants must be there all the time right thus uh, our government must definitely take help of you know professional consultants or so but again but the but the problem there is that they the consultants would provide the service from a point of view of a consultant right the ownership of that responsibility would only come if they were to work particularly for the government for an extended period of time not as a 3 or 4 month project for a you know small area for a small district so yeah that that whole ownership concept is very really important there right and then have there been so uh, like how does this actually work like do they recruit people through particular examinations apart from you know the normal uh, intake method or how does this work if you are aware of this so so the lateral entry system is basically based on experience mm-hmm. so uh, the government takes applications every year from people across uh, sectors across professions across various fields of work and uh, analyzes it then conducts interviews and then recruits people directly as joint secretaries into the government so uh, it takes about uh, if i am a fresh recruit uh, passing the union public service examination and getting into the civil services i will be joining as an under secretary after my training after my training period which is quite a lot so but for these people who are recruited as lateral entry uh, who are recruited on the basis of the lateral entry system they join directly as joint secretary which means that now uh, uh, as a reward of their experience or their capabilities regarding subject specific matters they have a certain when they join the service they have a certain level of authority and responsibility that comes with it so so the lateral entry system is a important uh, is a very uh, like say a, a, a revolutionary method to bring in expertise into the civil services but at the same time uh, the amount of the, the quantity of 
people who are recruited into the by the lateral entry system is far too less as it should be because uh, uh, till today the the only way known to a vast majority of indians is through the examination through the civil service examination but i think there needs to be awareness among people among executives in corporate roles that there is a chance for them to serve this country just like the indian army came uh, came out with a tour of duty concept uh, let's say last year uh, to introduce people to the thrill of working in directly in the armed forces for a short period of time nonetheless but still working directly for the armed forces serving the nation directly i think there needs to be equal awareness of serving the nation through the bureaucracy too and that can be done that can be done by mass promotion of these uh, lateral entry schemes in the corporate world because because if you i mean if you were to go into a corporate and just speak about it there will be 10 people there will be hundreds of hundreds of people who might be interested in it so 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 there is a lot of interest there is a lot of enthusiasm for this there is a lot of untapped potential among the people who are working in corporate world that needs to be tapped through mass awareness and mass promotion just like see uh, i feel that personally working as a bureaucrat is nothing less than working as a soldier you are practically a full time soldier without uniform so so uh, that 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 spirit of that spirit of uh, of uh, nation uh, building or that spirit of creating national integration that can be done equally by a soldier and also equally by a bureaucrat so so i think that is very important when we uh, when we talk about awareness of the lateral entry schemes more uh, tapping the uh, enthusiasm of people who want to really associate themselves with the functioning of the country i think all these things can be done yes i am really surprised that i was not aware of this so uh, i i was not aware that you know people uh, people can actually apply to you know be a part of say the armed forces for some duration probably not to the full extent but just to get a feel of how it feels like how it you know how the uh, what are the exact conditions or really what training might uh, have to be under you know they might have to undergo before even considering joining that right or even say same goes for the bureaucracy as well really fascinating and then you know i would not have perhaps known this if i did not talk to you right so this outreach somehow is very essential i feel that you know uh, people like yourself and even other people uh, you know uh, if they if they you know try to for i'm not sure like it's not a, it's not a moral duty to interact with people but yeah whenever the chance appears or whenever there's an opportunity to probably influence the youth it's really essential that you know people at least know about it to do or not to do is their choice but yeah, the, the the information should be out there so yeah and i'm really i'm, I'm not fast fascinated i knew that you you have this whole range of you know uh knowledge from you know from administration to international affairs to how things should go about right what could be done what have what has to be added but say and then you have been on this very long journey right uh and then hopefully uh we will be seeing you uh soon in a you know administrative post doing something very good for a certain area but uh, even before that right what is your message to probably people who are hearing us who are watching us right to the youth or any other person uh, who might want to tread a similar path you have spoken about this already but still so as a sort of you know concluding uh, statement to this discussion what do you have to put out there i would just like to uh, make a sincere appeal to all of those who are watching this uh, show that uh, um 
India is a land of opportunities. India is a land of potential. More than anything else, it is our country. It is our responsibility to ensure that all of us do uh, contribute in whatever way we can for its development and growth. Um, while uh, while the brain drain of current uh, Indian uh, uh, educated professionals, educated students to Western countries is a cause of concern, I think that even though you are getting yourselves uh, educated in a Western country or perhaps going there for higher education, even perhaps going there for making a good life, uh, it is important to know that you, it is important for you to understand and appreciate that you have a country back there which is yours, which gave you everything, which gave you education, which gave you, which gave you uh, all the resources you needed. It is important for all of us as Indians, perhaps as resident Indians, perhaps as non-resident Indians, perhaps even as foreign citizens who, who trace their roots back to India. It is important for all of us to appreciate that India is our land. India is not just a territory. It is our culture. It is our land. It is our, it is our, it is, it is the, uh, it is the land where all our forefathers right from time immemorial have lived. So we cannot abdicate our responsibility to India just because we are not physically, perhaps we are not physically present in India. We need to do, we need to do whatever we can to ensure that India rises up in the future. There are a lot of initiatives taken by the current government for tapping in scientists, for tapping in research professionals from Western countries and connecting them to Indian research professionals. All of you who, who are perhaps the leaders of uh, uh, science and technology in the Western world can contribute to such initiatives. Many such initiatives will be launched in the future. We have a fantastic diaspora, the highest in the world, about 17.5 million people. Just imagine what could happen to India, what could happen to India's growth and development as a nation if 17.5 million Indian diaspora were to contribute in whatever small way they can for the growth of India. So, so I think as Indians, as people living in India, as well as non-resident Indians, all of us should appreciate that it is, uh, it, it, see, there are a lot of problems with India. You can come up with a lot of criticisms, lot of complaints, lot of problems, right? From potholes to non-availability of beds in hospitals. There are, there are everything, everything there is, see, there is a, a vast range of inequality. There is a vast range of lack of access to resources. Among the people, among Indians, there, there is a, uh, there is a, I, I completely appreciate and understand the need to make a better life for yourself in the Western world, or perhaps in a more better country than India, the, the quality of life is definitely high. But at the same time, I just wish to uh, put forward this message that don't forget that you, you are a citizen of India. And even though you might carry a foreign passport, your, the blood in your veins is Indian, nothing else. Amazing, amazing message, Amir. Yeah, I, I think uh, people would really resonate to this. Uh, and me, me personally, uh, even I had this, you know, attitude of um, not being not so appreciative of what be, we've been provided until now. That brain drain concept is still there. So, really, thank you for putting that message across. I think this, uh, uh, this resonates with a lot of people. It will definitely. And uh, yes, thank you for. Uh, even, you know, presenting your views in such a beautiful, lucid manner so that people uh, get to know about different areas, uh, probably which uh, they are not aware of, right? Different opportunities, different ways to serve this, this country, right? Not, not even being in the bureaucracy, there could be different ways as well. So, yeah. And then wish you all the best for your journey ahead. Uh, 
hopefully much. hopefully we will connect soon and then you come again here right and we get to hear from you soon right so yes i will i will definitely enjoy coming here again <laughs> thank you very much for having me on the show